Hello, and welcome to this CCHCPE podcast compiled by noted tax authorities Sydney Kess and Barbara Weltman. This CCHCPE podcast may be used to earn valuable CPE credit. Please visit the CCHCPE podcast site at cchpodcast.com. At this site, you will be able to enroll in a CCHCPE podcast course. You will also be able to download an outline of the course that provides a summary of and citations for each key point, new case, and ruling, as well as charts, examples, and other valuable information related to our recorded discussion. This CCHCPE podcast contains citations to CCH's services, the Standard Federal Tax Reporter, the Tax Research Consultant, and the Federal Tax Guide. In your course outline, we refer you to the specific paragraphs in these services where each subject is covered in greater detail. If you are a subscriber to the CCH Tax Research Network, you will have the added capability of direct links within the outline to the citations and court cases. You will also be able to enroll in the final quizzer for this course. We suggest that you listen to this CCH CPE podcast course and follow along in your outline. You may print out the outline or view it on screen. At certain times during the podcast, we will ask you to test your knowledge by answering study questions. These study questions are designed to enhance your learning experience. The answers to the study questions are found at the end of your outline. You may pause this podcast at any time to access the CCH Tax Research linked material or to review the study questions. After you have listened to the complete podcast and reviewed the study questions and answers, you will be ready to take the final quizzer. You may print out the final quizzer for review and then submit your answers directly on our CCH CPE podcast site. Immediately after you submit your completed final quizzer, it will be automatically graded. If you successfully complete the final quizzer with a grade of 70% or greater, you will receive the recommended CPE credit. A CPE certificate of completion will be awarded and the certificate will be printable. Please refer to the CCH CPE podcast site at cchpodcast.com for complete information. So now, on with our program. There are now two types of Roths, the Roth IRA and the Roth 401k. The two have similarities, but there are substantial differences as well. In this focus, we'll discuss the older of the two types of Roths, Roth IRAs. We'll tell you what they have in common with traditional IRAs, and then discuss what's unique about them. Roth IRAs have a number of features in common with traditional IRAs. For purposes of this focus, traditional IRAs refer to both deductible and non-deductible IRAs that are not Roth IRAs, SEP IRAs, or simple IRAs. Roth IRAs can be funded only by taxpayers who have earned income from a job or from self-employment. They can also be based on taxable alimony and on tax-free combat pay. The treatment of tax-free combat pay as earned income for purposes of IRAs was instituted by the Heroes Earned Retirement Opportunities, or HEROES Act of 2006, which became law on May 29, 2006. Here's a planning pointer. The HEROES Act allows eligible members of the armed forces to make contributions for the years 2004 and 2005 if they did not do so at that time. The back contributions are, of course, limited to the contribution ceilings in effect for those years. For those under age 50, the contribution limit, the basic contribution amount, was $3,000 for 2004 and $4,000 for 2005. 
For those age 50 and over, the limit was $3,500 for 2004 and $4,500 for 2005. The deadline for making this back contribution is May 29, 2009. Military members making Roth IRA contributions do not have to report them, but those making traditional IRA contributions must file an amended return. Roth IRAs have the same annual contribution limits as traditional IRAs. For 2006 and 2007, the maximum basic contribution is limited to $4,000 per individual if earned income was at least $4,000. Starting in 2008, the basic contribution limit will increase to $5,000. For individuals with earned income below the limit, the maximum contribution is equal to the income earned for that year. The $4,000 limit applies to all IRA contributions. For example, a taxpayer who is eligible to make a $4,000 contribution may contribute $2,000 to a deductible IRA and $2,000 to a Roth IRA in the same year. Contributions to other types of IRAs, such as SEP IRAs or simple IRAs, are not taken into account for this $4,000 limit. As we previously stated, taxpayers age 50 or older may contribute an additional amount each year. For 2006 and 2007, the additional contribution limit for traditional and Roth IRAs is $1,000 per year. The additional contributions are known as catch-up contributions. As in the case of traditional IRAs, Roth IRA contributions can be made for a non-working spouse so long as the working spouse has sufficient earned income and the couple meets the income limits discussed later in this program. Contributions to Roth IRAs can be made until the return's due date for the year to which they relate, the same deadline used for contributions to traditional IRAs. For example, 2006 Roth IRA contributions can be made until April 16, 2007. Here's a planning pointer. While contributions for a tax year can be made through the middle of the fourth month of the following year, the sooner funds are contributed to the Roth IRA, the quicker they begin to build up on a tax-free basis. While it may not seem significant, over a long period of time, the added 15 months or so of interest and other earnings can compound into an impressive amount. Rollovers are another feature that Roth IRAs have in common with traditional IRAs. Distributions from one Roth IRA can be rolled over to another Roth IRA. Thus, the same rules for traditional IRA rollovers apply to rollovers of Roth IRAs. Further, amounts can be transferred tax-free from one Roth IRA to another. But there is a limit of one rollover per year, as with traditional IRA rollovers. Direct trustee-to-trustee transfers are allowed and are not counted as one of the permitted rollovers. And Roth IRAs enjoy the same creditor protection as traditional IRAs. Under the Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005, funded accounts are protected up to $1 million. Rollover accounts are fully protected without any dollar limits. At this time, please refer to the study questions in your outline. There are five important differences between traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. While the first difference is a disadvantage to Roth IRAs in comparison with traditional IRAs, all of the other differences serve to make Roth IRAs attractive retirement savings vehicles and important wealth builders for families. Difference 1. No deduction is allowed for Roth IRA contributions. In contrast, contributions to a traditional IRA are generally deductible when made, and the cost of making a deductible IRA contribution is funded in part by the tax deduction received. On the other hand, 
The cost of making a Roth IRA contribution is paid totally out of pocket with after-tax dollars. Difference 2. There is no age limit for making contributions to Roth IRAs. Anyone still working can contribute to a Roth IRA if he or she is otherwise eligible to do so. So someone who's age 70 and a half and still working can potentially make Roth IRA contributions. Regulations also make it clear that, like traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs can be set up for children who have earned income. For example, teenagers who work part-time or have summer jobs can contribute to Roth IRAs. They don't have to use their own money to do so. They can save their earnings or spend their earnings on college or other expenses. Parents or grandparents can gift them the funds necessary to make Roth IRA contributions. A planning pointer. For children, it's usually advisable to opt for a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA. Children may not even have enough income to owe tax and therefore could not benefit from a deduction. And due to their long savings horizon, much income will accrue tax-free rather than build up as taxable income in a traditional IRA. Difference 3. There are different income limitations that come into play with traditional IRAs versus Roth IRAs when it comes to putting money into the accounts. For traditional IRAs, there is no income limit for making contributions for those who don't participate in a qualified retirement plan. However, active participants can make deductible IRA contributions only if their Modified Adjusted Gross Income, or MAGI, does not exceed set limits. You'll find the 2006 and 2007 MAGI limits on deductible contributions for active participants listed in your study guide. Roth IRA contributions can be made regardless of whether a person is an active participant in a qualified plan at work. For example, a person with sufficient funds can contribute to his or her company's 401k plan as well as to a personal Roth IRA. However, there are MAGI limits on funding a Roth IRA, whether or not the person is an active participant. MAGI for this purpose is AGI without regard to required minimum distributions, exclusions for foreign earned income and employer adoption assistance, and deductions for traditional IRA contributions and student loan interest. A full contribution can be made if MAGI is below a certain range. The contribution limit phases out for those with MAGI within the range, and no contribution can be made once MAGI exceeds the range. Starting in 2007, the MAGI range is now adjusted annually for inflation. The MAGI limits for 2006 and for 2007, as well as the formula used to compute the reduced limit for those with MAGI within the phase-out range, can be found in your study guide. Difference 4. The treatment of distributions from Roth IRAs is the opposite of that for deductible IRAs. While there is a tax cost associated with going into a Roth IRA, it is outweighed by the benefit realized at the other end. All distributions from Roth IRAs, contributions plus earnings, can eventually be withdrawn tax-free. Under Code Section 408A-D1, qualified distributions from a Roth IRA are not includable in gross income. So, if withdrawals of earnings are classified as qualified distributions, they are tax-free, not tax-deferred as with a traditional IRA. A qualified distribution is one that meets a two-pronged test. The distribution is taken after funds have been in the Roth IRA for at least five years and are paid out for one of a set number of reasons. The acceptable reasons to take a distribution are limited to the following. Disability, death, reaching age 59 and a half, 
or the need to pay first-time home buying expenses up to $10,000 in a lifetime. Remember that these reasons apply to tax-free distributions from Roth IRAs and should not be confused with exceptions to the 10% early distribution penalty. For example, say a person age 45 started a Roth IRA six years ago, but withdraws funds in excess of contributions to pay her child's college expenses. The portion of the withdrawal in excess of the amounts representing after-tax contributions is not tax-free because the distribution was not occasioned by death, disability, reaching age 59 and a half, or the need to pay first-time home-buying expenses. However, the distribution is not subject to a 10% early distribution penalty, even though the person is under age 59 and a half, because the funds meet an exception to the penalty rule. After-tax contributions can be withdrawn tax-free at any time, although there may be investment penalties for premature withdrawals. The five-year period, the first prong of the tax-free withdrawal test, starts to run on the first day of the year to which the contributions relate. Here's a planning pointer. In order to start the running of the five-year period, one should try to make even a token contribution as soon as he or she is eligible to do so. For example, contributions made by April 16, 2007 for the 2006 tax year start the five-year period as of January 1, 2006. So distributions made after December 31, 2010 will have satisfied the five-year holding period. However, they still may not be qualified distributions unless they satisfy one of the acceptable reasons to take a distribution, as mentioned earlier. The value of attaining tax-free income from a Roth IRA cannot be overstated. For young workers who have years before needing to tap their retirement funds, the accumulations can be substantial. If funds aren't needed during the owner's lifetime, they can provide a sizable inheritance with no income tax consequences for the beneficiary. Remember that traditional IRAs result in income tax consequences for the beneficiary. Non-qualified distributions from Roth IRAs are taxed under the annuity rules of Code Section 72 and ordering rules set forth in regulations. So when a person receives a non-qualified distribution from a Roth IRA, a portion of the distribution must generally be included in gross income. As we previously mentioned, non-qualified distributions from a Roth IRA are generally subject to a 10% penalty, though the penalty may be avoided under certain exceptions. These exceptions are contained in Code Section 72T and include distributions for qualified higher education expenses and, under limited circumstances, for medical insurance and payments. So the same exceptions that apply to early distributions from traditional IRAs are available for Roth IRA distributions. Under the ordering rules, all Roth IRA accounts are viewed as one for purposes of determining the treatment of withdrawals. Then withdrawals are treated in the following order. All withdrawals are tax-free to the extent of total regular contributions to Roth IRAs. Remember that these contributions were made with after-tax money. If both regular contributions and conversion contributions have been made to Roth IRAs, withdrawals are treated as taken from regular contributions first. All converted contributions are treated as withdrawn on a first-in, first-out basis. Withdrawals of converted amounts will be treated as coming first from converted amounts that are required to be included in income, that is, deductible IRA contributions or earnings as a result of the conversion. Earnings on regular contributions and conversion contributions are considered to be withdrawn last. Here's a planning pointer. Notice that the Roth IRA distribution rule differs from the rule for non-deductible IRAs. 
For non-deductible IRAs, each withdrawal is treated as a pro-rata withdrawal of non-deductible contributions. In other words, each withdrawal represents some taxable earnings amount. In contrast, all Roth IRA contributions can be withdrawn before earnings are even considered. This means that contributions are not locked into the Roth IRA and are available to taxpayers tax-free and penalty-free at any time. Distributions from Roth IRAs are reported on Part 3 of Form 8606, Non-Deductible IRAs. If the 10% penalty applies, distributions are reported on Form 5329, Additional Taxes on Qualified Plans, Including IRAs, and Other Tax-Favored Accounts. And finally, Difference 5. Roth IRAs don't have lifetime-required minimum distributions. Individuals who don't need the money can let the funds build up in a Roth IRA on a tax-free basis. So unlike traditional IRAs, those aged 70 and a half are not required to take any funds from Roth IRAs while they're alive. When a Roth IRA owner dies, beneficiaries, other than surviving spouses, can elect to take distributions over their lifetime or mistake them sooner. If lifetime distributions are elected, they must commence no later than December 31st of the year following the year of the owner's death. If the beneficiary is young and distributions are spread over his or her long life expectancy, many years remain in which funds can continue to grow while required distributions are being taken. If the lifetime distribution election is not made, then a distribution of the entire Roth IRA must be made by the end of the fifth year following the year of the Roth IRA owner's death. Of course, the beneficiary is free at any time to accelerate distributions and take more than is otherwise required. If the sole beneficiary of the account is the decedent's spouse, the spouse may delay distributions until the decedent would have reached age 70 and a half or may treat the Roth IRA as his or her own. A planning pointer. While the regulations do not say so, it would appear that the distribution period for a Roth IRA inherited by a non-spouse beneficiary is equal to the beneficiary's life expectancy. This payout period would not change even if the Roth IRA is then inherited by another. For example, a parent dies, leaving a Roth IRA to his 25-year-old child. When the child dies at age 65, there is a balance in the Roth IRA of several thousand dollars the grandchild inherits the Roth IRA from the child. It would seem that the grandchild must continue taking distributions based on the remaining life expectancy of the parent, even though the parent has died. At this time, please refer to the study questions in your outline. Now let's talk about conversions to Roth IRAs. Rollovers from traditional IRAs to Roth IRAs are treated as conversions. At present, direct rollovers from qualified plans to Roth IRAs are not permitted. Amounts in qualified plans must first be rolled over to traditional IRAs and then rolled over to Roth IRAs as conversions. After 2007, distributions from qualified retirement plans can be rolled over directly to Roth IRAs if the taxpayer is eligible to make a conversion, which we'll discuss in a moment. Required minimum distributions from IRAs and qualified plans cannot be rolled over to a Roth IRA. These funds must be taken into income and are not eligible for rollover treatment of any sort. So let's discuss the conversion rules. Amounts in traditional IRAs, both deductible and non-deductible IRAs, can be converted to Roth IRAs. A conversion is made by designating a traditional IRA account as a Roth IRA. Conversion does not require a physical withdrawal and redeposit. Amounts in SEP IRAs and simple IRAs can also be converted to Roth IRAs. 
However, in the case of simple IRAs, the conversion cannot take place until at least two years after the simple IRA account was established. To be eligible to convert to a Roth IRA in 2007, 2008, or 2009, the taxpayer's MAGI cannot be more than $100,000 in the year of conversion. This income limit applies to singles as well as married couples filing joint returns. MAGI for this purpose does not include the conversion amount. The MAGI limit is not adjusted annually for inflation. It remains fixed at $100,000. A planning pointer. Starting in 2010, the MAGI limit no longer applies. At that time, the MAGI limit is repealed, and conversions will be allowed without regard to income. Married persons filing separately are not eligible to convert to Roth IRAs regardless of their income. There are no age limits on making conversions. They can be made before age 59 and a half or after age 70 and a half. Those under 59 and a half who convert are not subject to the 10% early distribution penalty on the conversion. Those who convert after age 70 and a half must still take their required minimum distribution for the year, but need not include it in MAGI when determining eligibility to convert. The consequences of the conversion are simple. All income resulting from the conversion must be reported in the year of conversion. So, when converting a deductible IRA to a Roth IRA in 2007, all of the funds are taxable in 2007. For a traditional non-deductible IRA, only the portion of the conversion representing earnings is taxable in the year of conversion. There is no tax on the portion related to the after-tax contributions. Another planning pointer. For conversions made in 2010... 50% of the resulting income is automatically reported in 2011 and 50% in 2012. However, taxpayers can opt to report all of the income on their returns for the year of the conversion, in other words, their 2010 returns. Since we don't know what the tax rates will be at that time, current low rates are scheduled to sunset after 2010, it's too early to suggest which alternative is better. To make the conversion, the taxpayer must have sufficient funds to pay the resulting tax. Generally, it's not advisable to make the conversion if some of the funds in the IRA must be used to pay the tax. Using IRA funds to pay the tax can result in an early distribution penalty if the individual is under age 59 and a half. Also, doing so reduces the amount that can be used to build up tax-free income in the Roth IRA. Distributions from converted amounts are treated in the same manner as distributions from Roth IRAs funded by contributions. So, the taxpayer must determine whether they are qualified or non-qualified distributions. The 10% early distribution penalty applies to those under age 59 and a half who take distributions before the account has been open for at least five years. The purpose of imposing this penalty is to ensure that the conversion is not simply a ruse to avoid the penalty in the first place. Remember, there is no penalty on conversions by those under age 59 and a half. Taxpayers can take a second look at their conversions. The law allows them to undo their actions within certain parameters. Undoing an action is called a recharacterization. It's a way to reverse the initial conversion or regular contribution plus earnings if the taxpayer was ineligible to make the contribution or simply changed his or her mind. A recharacterization might be done, for example, to avoid an excess contribution penalty if an individual discovers that MAGI exceeds $100,000, even though it wasn't expected to be that high when the conversion was made. Action to avoid a penalty must be taken by the due date of the return, including any extensions, that is, October 15th. 
Recharacterizations are accomplished by direct trustee-to-trustee transfers, as opposed to a distribution and subsequent rollover. Also, a direct trustee-to-trustee transfer is permitted even if the IRAs are maintained by the same trustee. In order to effect a recharacterization, the individual must make an election and notify the trustee of each IRA. Funds converted from SEP IRAs and simple IRAs can be recharacterized back to those IRAs. As we mentioned earlier, recharacterizations can be used to avoid penalty if an individual finds that contrary to expectations, his or her income actually exceeded the $100,000 limit. Recharacterization may also be advisable if the conversion was made at a time when the value of the account was high, but the value has since declined, so the taxpayer does not pay income tax on earnings that effectively are no longer there. This strategy was particularly useful in the year 2000, when the stock market dropped precipitously with the bursting of the dot-com bubble. The Nasdaq reached its peak of 5100 in March 2000. Therefore, the contrast in the value of an account between that date and October 15, 2000 would likely have been dramatic, and for many, a reconversion at that time would have been wise. An executor or other person with the duty to file a decedent's final income tax return can recharacterize a Roth IRA to a traditional IRA. The regulations point out that only actual contributions can be recharacterized. For example, if an excess contribution was made to an IRA in a prior year and deducted in the current year, it cannot be recharacterized in the current year. If an IRA owner converts a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA during the year and then transfers that amount back to a traditional IRA by means of a recharacterization, that person is limited with respect to a further recharacterization. Specifically, he or she may not recharacterize that amount from the traditional IRA to a Roth IRA before the later of either 1. the beginning of the tax year following the tax year in which the amount was converted to a Roth IRA, or 2. the end of the 30-day period beginning on the day on which the IRA owner transfers the amount from the Roth IRA back to a traditional IRA by means of a recharacterization. A reconversion made before the later of the beginning of the next tax year or the end of the 30-day period that begins on the day of the recharacterization is called a failed conversion. As such, it's treated as a distribution from a traditional IRA and a regular contribution to the Roth IRA. Here's an example. Sarah Wyman converts an amount to a Roth IRA on May 1, 2007 and recharacterizes it to a traditional IRA on September 1, 2007. Sarah may not reconvert that amount before January 1, 2008, the beginning of the tax year following the tax year in which the amount was converted to a Roth IRA. Any attempt to reconvert in 2007 results in a failed conversion. The final regulations also make it clear that an excess contribution that is distributed to the individual does not start the five-year period for purposes of determining tax-free income distributions from the Roth IRA. Assuming that a taxpayer is eligible to make a conversion, there are a number of factors that he or she must take into account in deciding whether to do so. Obviously, there is an upfront tax cost to conversion. Many individuals loathe paying even a penny of taxes one day sooner than is otherwise necessary. They may prefer to continue their tax deferral in traditional IRAs rather than convert. However, those unlikely to need the funds in the short term should consider conversion. The value of the opportunity to build up tax-free income cannot be overstated. Some experts have suggested that those who plan to leave the funds in the Roth IRA for at least 10 years should consider converting. 
And certainly, the ability to spread the tax over two years for conversions made in 2010 will be an attractive feature. Of course, the decision to convert should also take into account the taxpayer's current tax bracket, his or her projected tax brackets in the years in which retirement plan withdrawals are anticipated, and the expected rate of return that can be earned on the funds. There are various computer software programs and online websites designed to model an individual situation and determine whether conversion is advisable. The Roth IRA provides great flexibility in retirement planning. Those who don't need the IRA money can let it grow tax-free in a Roth IRA. The funds can be taken at any time as needed, or they can be used to provide a substantial inheritance for family members or others. Conversion can also have a positive effect with respect to the tax on Social Security benefits. Conversion means paying tax on an IRA all at once. But after that, there is no additional income to report once the five-year holding period and event test have been met. This means that seniors receiving Social Security income may no longer have to pay tax on benefits if they have avoided required minimum distributions from their IRAs by previously converting them. For example... Say a 60-year-old converts his traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. The resulting income may mean a sizable tax bill in the year of conversion. But once he starts to collect Social Security benefits at, say, age 66, withdrawals from the Roth IRA will not increase the income used to figure the taxable portion of Social Security benefits. Finally, if a conversion is made, be sure to take the resulting income into account for estimated tax purposes. Taxpayers may unwittingly trigger estimated tax penalties on conversion if they do not pay enough in withholding and quarterly estimated tax payments. There is a special variation on the Roth IRA, one that's tied to qualified retirement plans. An employer with a qualified retirement plan can elect to allow employees to voluntarily establish a separate IRA under the plan. This option was created by the Economic Growth and Tax Reconciliation Act of 2001 and became effective on January 1, 2003. If the separate account otherwise qualifies, it will be deemed a Roth IRA, so it's referred to as a deemed Roth IRA. These accounts are subject to the rules governing IRAs rather than the more elaborate qualified plan rules dealing with such things as distribution limits, contribution rules, and non-discrimination rules. The annual contribution limit and MAGI rules for Roth IRAs apply to deemed Roth IRAs. However, contributions and earnings on deemed IRAs must be kept separately. Details about the rules governing deemed Roth IRAs can be found in final regulations issued in 2004. They shouldn't be confused with Roth 401ks, which may be offered through employer retirement plans. Making deemed Roth IRA contributions has no impact on making traditional or Roth 401k contributions. And this concludes our discussion of Roth IRAs. In this focus, we'll discuss the newer of the two types of Roths, Roth 401ks. We'll tell you what they have in common with Roth IRAs and traditional 401ks, and then discuss what's unique about them. First, a little history. The Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2001 created Roth 401k plans starting in 2006. However, that EGTRRA provision had been scheduled to sunset at the end of 2010, so initially there was only minimal interest in the plans. Why modify existing retirement plans for this short-lived option? But the Pension Protection Act of 2006 made Roth 401ks permanent. 
General Motors became the first major employer to offer Roth 401ks in 2006. According to a recent survey by Hewitt & Associates, about 12% of large companies added Roth 401ks in 2006, and about 11% said they were likely to do so in 2007. Companies are not required to add a Roth 401k option to their existing 401k plans. However, in light of the permanency of the feature and its benefits, which we'll discuss, many large and small companies will likely begin to offer it if they have not already done so. Here's a planning pointer. The Roth feature can be added to 403b plans as well. For purposes of our discussion, we'll refer to them collectively as Roth 401ks, but everything discussed for the Roth 401ks applies with equal force to the Roth 403bs. The Roth feature cannot be added to a government 457 plan, a simple plan, or a SARCEP. What is a Roth 401k? Roth 401ks are often referred to as hybrids, a combination of the traditional 401k and the Roth IRA. And this moniker is certainly accurate, as you will see. A Roth 401k is an option under a 401k plan that allows participants to make after-tax contributions. A plan cannot exist with only a Roth 401k option. Plans must offer both pre- and after-tax contribution options. After-tax contributions are made by designating a portion of compensation as a Roth 401k contribution. The designated contribution is irrevocable. A participant cannot reassign a Roth 401k contribution to have it treated at a later point as a conventional pre-tax contribution. Designated contributions to the Roth 401k do not reduce W-2 income. The amount of the designated contribution is included in the participant's income for the year and reported on his or her W-2. However, earnings can build up tax-free. Let's discuss the ways in which these accounts are similar to traditional 401k plans, as well as how they differ. Then we'll compare them to Roth IRAs. Roth 401ks are similar to traditional 401ks in a number of ways. And since many people are already familiar with traditional or conventional 401ks, it may be easiest to explain Roth 401ks by comparing them to traditional 401ks. First, both types of accounts have the same annual contribution limits. For 2007, up to $15,500 can be designated as a Roth 401k contribution or $20,500 for those age 50 or older by the end of 2007. The contribution limits can be adjusted annually for inflation. A participant can designate some or all annual contributions to a Roth 401k. The dollar limit on contributions applies overall to both Roth and traditional 401ks. For example, if a 45-year-old contributes $10,000 to a traditional 401k, the most she can designate to a Roth 401k for 2007 is $5,500. In deciding how to split or allocate contributions, the current and future tax impact of the Roth 401k is paramount. There's a current tax cost, but the potential for future tax-free income. Keep in mind that employer matching contributions can be made to Roth 401ks, but the actual contributions can be allocated only to traditional 401k accounts. No portion of employer contributions can be allocated to Roth 401ks. The reason for this is obvious. Employer contributions remain taxable to participants no matter how long they remain in the 401k. Funds must be held separately for regular and Roth 401k contributions. 
Investment earnings and charges must be allocated appropriately to each type of account. If there are any planned forfeitures, they can only be allocated to the conventional 401k. They cannot be allocated to the Roth 401k. Having two accounts requires participants to coordinate and track investments in each. Here's a practice pointer. Plans that choose to provide personalized investment advice may help participants to make investment decisions for both accounts. There are other similarities between the traditional and the Roth 401k. Participants must be given an opportunity under the terms of the plan to make their designations at least once annually. No contributions can be made to a Roth 401k before a participant makes a designation. Allocations to each type of account are non-forfeitable. This means that when a participant leaves a job, he or she has the option to roll over the Roth 401k to an account with a new employer or to roll the funds over to a Roth IRA. A rollover to another Roth 401k can be made only via a direct transfer to a new account. The five-year period, which we'll explain later, will carry over to the new Roth 401k. Here's another practice pointer. 401k plans are allowed but not required to accept rollovers of Roth 401ks. A participant wishing to make such a rollover should verify that the new plan will accept a direct rollover. If funds are distributed directly to the participant, they can be rolled over within 60 days to a Roth IRA. They cannot be rolled over to a Roth 401k at a new employer because they were distributed directly to the participant rather than transferred directly to the new Roth 401k. The five-year period does not carry over from a Roth 401k to a Roth IRA. A new five-year period must commence following a rollover to a Roth IRA. Also, once funds have been rolled into a Roth IRA, they cannot be rolled into a Roth 401k. This is a one-way street, from Roth 401k to Roth IRA, but not the reverse. Roth 401k allocations are taken into account in determining whether the plan is non-discriminatory under the Actual Deferral Percentage, or ADP, test. Here's a practice pointer. Starting after 2007, plans that adopt automatic enrollment avoid the ADP testing issue and are automatically treated as non-discriminatory. In fact, plans can designate that a portion of the automatic contribution go to a Roth 401k so long as the plan specifies the default contribution and provides the participants with an opportunity to opt out. If a participant fails to expressly decline the automatic contribution, it's irrevocably deemed to have been made. Roth 401k contributions differ from traditional 401k contributions in one obvious way. Roths are made with after-tax dollars, while traditional 401k contributions are currently excluded from income. So traditional 401ks will lower current taxes, while Roths will have no immediate impact on them. Conversely, Earnings on Roth 401ks can become fully tax-free. This is explained in detail later in this program. Both contributions and earnings in traditional 401ks remain fully taxable when distributed. Companies that want to include the Roth 401k option must adopt a discretionary amendment to a 401k plan. This must be done no later than the end of the year for which the amendment is effective. Another practice pointer. The IRS has provided sample language that can be used by a plan sponsor to add a Roth 401k option. At this time, please review the study questions in your outline. 
So you've seen how Roth 401ks are similar or different from traditional 401ks. Now let's compare and contrast Roth 401ks to Roth IRAs. Roth 401ks are similar to Roth IRAs in that both are funded with after-tax contributions. There is no immediate tax break for putting money into the plan. Roth 401ks are also similar, but not identical to Roth IRAs, in the way in which qualified distributions are treated. As with a Roth IRA, funds must be held in a Roth 401k for at least five years, and then distributed after age 59 and a half, or on account of disability or death. The first-time home-buying distribution option for the Roth IRA, which allows tax-free distributions up to $10,000 to cover first-time home-buying costs, does not apply to the Roth 401k. The five-year period starts on the first day of the participant's year in which the first designated Roth 401k contribution is made. If funds in the account are directly rolled over to another Roth account, the five-year period includes the original period. For example, say a participant starts Roth 401k contributions in 2007, so that the five-year period starts on January 1st, 2007. In 2010, the participant changes employers and makes a direct rollover of the funds in the Roth 401k to a Roth 401k with the new employer. The five-year period for the new Roth 401k starts on January 1st, 2007, the same starting date as the original designation. Here's a practice pointer. It is up to the plan administrator to keep track of the five-year period for participants. Roth 401ks are different from Roth IRAs in several important ways. First, there is no income limitation on funding a Roth 401k as there is for Roth IRAs. In 2007, single taxpayers with modified AGI over $114,000 and joint filers with MAGI over $166,000 are barred from contributing anything to a Roth IRA. Under these circumstances, Roth 401ks have the obvious advantage over Roth IRAs. Second, contribution limits are substantially higher for Roth 401ks than for Roth IRAs. As mentioned earlier, the top contribution to a Roth 401k in 2007 is $15,500, or $20,500 for those age 50 or older by year-end. For Roth IRAs, the contribution limit for 2007 is $4,000, or $5,000 for those 50 or older by year-end. In this respect, Roth 401ks are better than Roth IRAs. A practice pointer. Contributions can be made to both Roth 401ks and Roth IRAs in the same year up to the maximum allowed for each plan, assuming eligibility. Those who have sufficient funds to set aside and are not barred by their MAGI from contributing to a Roth IRA can build up a sizable tax-free retirement pot. Remember, Roth IRA contributions are not barred to active participants in the same way that deductible IRAs are barred for certain active participants. Third, funds from a regular 401k cannot be converted to a Roth 401k, while funds in a traditional IRA can be converted to a Roth IRA. Currently, there are income limits on eligibility to convert. Starting in 2010, the income limits are dropped, so anyone is eligible to convert at that time. Fourth, there are required lifetime distributions from Roth 401ks. There are no such requirements for Roth IRAs, making Roth IRAs better on this count. This generally means that withdrawals from a Roth 401k must commence at age 70 and a half. 
If the participant is still employed at the company maintaining the plan, the plan can allow distributions to commence after retirement if later than age 70 and a half. Another practice pointer. The requirement to take lifetime distributions from a Roth 401k can easily be avoided by making a rollover of the funds in the account to a Roth IRA. Fifth, early distributions, called non-qualified distributions, which are distributions before the end of the five-year period, are treated differently. For Roth IRAs, an early distribution is treated first as relating to non-taxable after-tax contributions. If the distribution exceeds these contributions, the excess becomes taxable. In effect, earnings are considered to be withdrawn last. So if a distribution doesn't exceed contributions to a Roth IRA, there is no current tax. For Roth 401ks, non-qualified distributions are included in gross income to the extent allocable to income on the contract and excluded from gross income to the extent allocable to investment in the contract or basis. The amount of a distribution allocated to investment in the contract is determined by applying to the distribution the ratio of the investment in the contract to the designated Roth account balance. For example, if a non-qualified distribution of $5,000 is made from an employee's designated Roth account when the account consists of $9,400 of designated Roth contributions and $600 of earnings, the distribution consists of $4,700 of designated Roth contributions, which are not includable in the participant's income, and $300 of earnings, which are includable in the participant's income. If the participant is under age 59 and a half when the distributions are taken, there is a 10% early distribution penalty, unless an exception to the penalty applies. Sixth, a participant does not have easy access to designated Roth 401k contributions as he or she does with Roth IRA contributions. An individual can withdraw Roth IRA contributions tax-free and penalty-free at any time. With a Roth 401k, the plan must restrict access to designated contributions in the same manner as applied to elective deferrals to conventional 401ks. So, the plan can permit withdrawals for economic hardship if the same withdrawal option applies to pre- and after-tax contributions. But, as we discussed earlier, the withdrawals will be prorated between tax-free contributions and taxable earnings. Seventh, a participant in a Roth 401k has no record-keeping obligations. The plan administrator keeps track of the five-year period, allocations to the account, and any other relevant information. In contrast, the owner of a Roth IRA is responsible for keeping track of rollovers and distributions. This is done on Form 8606, Non-Deductible IRAs. At this time, please refer to the study questions in your outline. If participants have the option of contributing to a Roth 401k plan, should they act on it? According to early statistics reported by Hewitt & Associates in the summer of 2006, just six months after the Roth 401k option became available, about 7% of plan participants who were offered a Roth 401k chose it. However, almost 25% of newly enrolled participants chose a Roth 401k were available. Here are some factors to take into account in deciding whether to direct funds to a Roth 401k plan. Younger participants with a long time until retirement may wish to opt for future tax-free income by sacrificing current income deferral. If so, they should choose the Roth over the traditional 401k. 
They will have many years in which to build up a sizable retirement fund that produces tax-free income. Participants who are currently in lower tax brackets do not save substantial taxes by opting for current income deferral and may prefer making Roth 401k contributions to the extent possible. In this way, future withdrawals will be tax-free when participants are in higher tax brackets. Participants with higher income who are barred from contributing to a Roth IRA can use a Roth 401k to create tax-free retirement income. However, those currently in the highest tax brackets who expect to be in lower brackets at retirement may prefer the traditional 401k because of the current income tax savings. Participants who have enough retirement income and want to create wealth for their heirs, as long as they can make a rollover to a Roth IRA before age 70 and a half, they can retain the accumulations intact for the next generation. Participants who are betting that tax rates will only be higher in the future might want to gamble on future tax-free income from a Roth 401k. Of course, the bet may turn on a 20- or 30-year forecast, so who knows? Participants who are planning to leave retirement funds to charity probably want to opt for the traditional 401k. This will give them current tax deferral and no future tax cost. For example, an estate can claim a charitable deduction for funds left to charity. In conclusion, Roth 401ks and Roth 403bs represent an opportunity to create tax-free income. Remember that the Roth option cannot be added to SIMPLES, SARCEPs, or 457 plans. With proper planning for Roth 401ks, funds can be used in retirement or left to heirs without any added income tax cost. At this time, please refer to the study questions in your outline. And that concludes this CCH CPE podcast. As a reminder, if you're interested in earning valuable continuing professional education credits, please enroll in this course at cchpodcast.com. In our next CCH CPE podcast, we'll focus on another area of importance for your practice and we'll provide commentary on some current developments that can be useful to your clients. We thank you for listening to this edition and hope you have found this program to be a valuable and interesting learning tool. And on that note, we'll bring this CCH CPE podcast to a close. Until our next podcast, goodbye and good luck in your tax work. CCH audio programs are published to promote sound thought in economic, legal, and accounting principles relating to tax and business law. CCH's editorial policy is to allow frank discussion in these areas. The opinions and interpretations expressed are those of the authors. CCH is not engaged herein in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services, and the authors are not offering such advice in this program. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.